This is Phil here, Dr. Henry Masoma and I over the last six podcast episodes have been talking about the process of becoming a good man. It's been a great conversation and we just wondered whether or not it might be a good idea to talk about the stuff that we've learned about and our grandmothers as well too. Let's go. Henry, tell me about your grandmother and why you've got a picture of her on your desk. My grandmother was was such a, a, a darling of a human being. She was what I would call in modern day maybe a mail-order bride. So back in the 40s, my grandfather left the village to go work in the copper mines. And the country was booming with copper industry. And so the men would send back home to the village a message to have a wife brought over. And so my grandmother and he never really went through the dating as you and I know it. So they were pretty much strangers, but then got married. And the memories I have of my grandmother are her coming to my home when I was a young boy and always coming with with gifts. It was my favorite gift from my grandmother, Phil, was sweet potatoes that are dried, sun-dried, and it's called insemwa. And it was one of my favorite childhood snacks. It would be so hard, almost brittle, but if you just kind of keep sucking at it, it would just get soft and taste just like a boiled sweet potato. And it was like candy. Um, I loved that. And she was always willing to give. The thing that she left me with me is this idea of keeping the main thing the main thing. And she used to say, And what that means is, Take care of your neck. The necklace is just an accessory. Take care of your neck. The necklace is just an accessory. Don't get caught up with the small stuff. Make sure the real deal stuff is still happening, that your head is held up high. That's something my grandmother gave me. I, Veronica was her name. She never spoke a word of English, but she loved to try to speak English. So she used to tell me, like, when I say, good morning, grandma, she'd be like, good morning. And... <laughs> And she'd say, uh, my name is Veronica. My name is Veronica. And I just laughed, said, Grandma, let's just keep Denver. So yeah, darling of a lady, um, strong woman, strong woman. Lived through a lot with my grandpa. So, uh, and, and uh, she sounds absolutely, um, absolutely delightful. Um, it's lovely to hear stories about her in that way. Let's, let's stick with that image of the neck then. What is the neck of a man? Because we've talked about the head and the heart, and maybe the neck is the connection point. What is the neck of a man? The neck of a man. His ears. His ability to hear others, and his ability to hear himself. And so if it's about hearing, and you, you talked about the importance of hearing and listening right back at the start of our podcast series, so it's a good time to revisit that. Um, what is he listening for? He is listening for um, direction. He's listening for instruction because he needs to remain teachable, learning and unlearning constantly, as you and I have discussed. He's listening for caution. That's why it's beautiful that you and I will bring up our grandparents because they're the ones sometimes who give us that those cautious moments of teaching. He's listening to failure, which is every, should be every man's very good friend and then ultimately if he's a person of faith which i am is listening for that voice of god Mm. and what that voice is saying to him and 
how does a man know, therefore, whether he's becoming a good man? When he has a trained ear that goes through re reflection, inquiry, and active engagement with his life, he becomes better at it. In fact, you know, I'm not trying to be preachy, but I borrow from Scripture where it says, uh, where God says, my sheep know my voice. There's something about practice that allows a man to build muscle memory that he visits in moments of deep need. And uh, I'll, I'll explain that a little better. I'm teaching my son how to play soccer. It's pretty fun. And I'm telling him that, Joshua, we're going to practice so much that your muscles will know how to respond without you even thinking about it. So his ability to listen is developed over time. He might start off not listening to the right voices, but then as you and I start to get gray and lose hair and stuff like that, I think we become better, I hope, skillfully learn. And then we spare the people behind us the, the pain of being hard-headed by sharing that which we've learned to listen to. So it's a skill, and I think my, my grandmother always used to say that all the time, and that means your life is in your ear, son. Your life is in your ear. Who are you listening to? What are you listening to? How are you listening, she'd say. And this is a woman who had no education. The, the, the education point is an, is an interesting one because it's, it's, it's what we do with what we're given um, rather than necessarily uh, uh, the specific uh, vehicle through which that is delivered. The pathway to success, is a, uh, the pathway to excellence is about the questions you ask and the attempts to find the answers. As you were talking there, I was wondering about the sort of Jim Collins work on, on Good to Great where he talks about humility and willpower and the capacity to bridge the apparently irreconcilable gap between the two. And, and somewhere within that is the self-assuredness of a man. And as we've said before, it could be a person, it could be a woman, it could be... Just, but, but in this context, we're talking about how we raise fine young men, you know, how we, how we, how we help them to become good men. That a man who knows that he's doing good in the world because of that which he's listening to and the feedback that's being given to him by other people about what he's doing. He's not uh, by any means convinced that everything he does is right or good and he remains slightly sceptical of himself I think but then he also knows that if something's working keep doing it until it doesn't work anymore. Don't get too um, don't, don't get too carried away with the wonderfulness of being yourself along the way yes. but, but stick at it and infect other people with your willpower and, and your determination and your strength and your resolve um, and, and, and that can be done in, in, in small ways and big ways it can be done in quiet ways and, and loud ways I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that there is a mould of what a man is anymore. And again, that you know, takes us back to the beginning of our conversations. Um, I think it's, it can be harder for young men because they have to work it out for themselves. But along the way, I think it ends up being um, more satisfying because they can determine what their mark is. 
they can respond to what their measure is they can wrestle along the way and and they've got some capacity to exercise a voice to exercise agency and to um and 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 to be on this planet and to play in the garden of the lord you know so it's because you've got to have some fun too uh you know i said i'm 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 always I've, I've been driven to the book of ecclesiastes for about 10 years now um uh, you know, where, and particularly where it talks about, you know, what what profits a man but to work and eat and drink and play in the sun. You know, it's it's you, you, we've got to be able to do all of those sorts of things. Um, I am convinced about the nobility of work. Uh, you know, the the Khalil Gibran uh, in in the prophet says that that love is work made visible, and I'm I'm absolutely convinced that for many men around the world. Um, who struggle in their communication it's the work they do that shows the love they have so if if you want to judge a man look at what he's working at that's my father so my father is I'm putting a shout out to my father he's about to publish his book and I have it's it's tales from a village boy and and his name his name is Henry as well so my dad is Henry Musoma as well excellent and we have a book coming out in the next few months actually I say we, but it's my dad's who's written this book. And one of the things that I have discovered in, in, in reading the chapters through my father's book is I have met and fallen in love with an imperfect man. But that imperfection is so important. Yeah. It's so important. Because if we, if we fall in love with perfection, um, then we're falling in love with illusion. It's, it's not for us to be perfect. It's for us to be imperfect. You know, so... And, and, and it's really, really important for us to teach young men that they have to strive to do their best. They have to strive to improve. They have to strive um, to, to grow. They have to strive to meet their goals. And at times, they're going to have to stretch themselves to achieve a standard performance that they didn't think that was possible. But to expect that everything has to be perfect, well, it's just a, it's just a, a, a recipe for disaster because we can't be perfect. No, sir. Phil, you brought up my grandma. I'm going to take you back to your grandma. What's her name? Mary. What is her legacy to you? Um, gosh, look, she was an extraordinary woman. Um, she was about four foot nine in height. And my grandfather had come out from um, Poland, uh, right on the border with, as it was then, Russia. Although I suspect now it, it, it where they came from might be uh, either in the Ukraine or, or Belarusia, it's hard, it's hard to tell. But in 1927, he came to uh, uh, Australia because he was increasingly distressed with the amount of anti-Semitic violence that was taking place in his hometown, what uh, students of Russian history in particular would call pogroms, um, uh, which you know essentially consisted of a bunch of people getting on their horses, grabbing a grabbing a set of weapons and going over to the Jewish side of town and uh, raising merry hell um, with the lives of uh, perfectly ordinary, decent, respectable human beings. So he decided it was time to leave. He was also a communist, which, um, you know, so being, and, 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 and as far as I can tell, he was, a, he was quite an extreme introvert and quite a difficult man as well too. So he, um, he, he came over to Australia in 1927 and when he, when he left, he said to my grandmother, um, who was born with a displaced hip and so was not expected to have children. So you've got this sort of communist outlier 
with the girl who's not expected to have children. And, of course, they became childhood sweethearts. So he, he upped and left, and he said, I'll send for you. Two years later, he sent her, her a telegram and the £10 or whatever it was that was required for the boat fare and said, be on this boat at this time. So somehow she got herself to um, uh, Gdansk, or Dunzig as it's otherwise known, um, and she caught a boat to Australia, to Fremantle, where my grandfather met her, you know, eight weeks later. And um, they were married in the registry office and they began a life in Australia together. Her education was cut short. She was very proud of the fact that she had been accepted to the gymnasia, which was the academic high school. Um, uh, but of course, she didn't get to go. Um, and she became a shopkeeper's wife. And as they went around Australia in the 1930s and 1940s trying to build businesses for themselves in a, in a very hard time and place. Uh, she was the saleswoman. So my grandfather was the worker, but she was the saleswoman. And my goodness, she could, uh, she could sell anything. You know, she, and, and so I think, you know, when, when I look back on her life, there's hard work, there's hope, there's faith, there's belief, um, there's a certain degree of obstinacy and there's selling. And I, I'm a very great believer that in today's day and age, the most difficult and essential task of a leader is to persuade people to do things because it's hard. The stuff that we're talking about, the becoming of a good man, it's hard to do. So you've got to believe in it. Um, she was unfailingly kind to me as her grandson. She loved me to bits. And for the last five years of her life, I lived with her because she couldn't look after herself. So I'd go and do the shopping and so on and so on. Um, and for me, it was better than living with my parents at that stage because uh, my dad and I certainly weren't getting on with each other. Um, and so we had this absolutely unique uh, relationship. Uh, she loved all the young people coming into the house. She, she wanted to know all the stories and this and that and the other. The most important thing she taught me in the last few years was to be a man of my word. And the way she did it was she would sit there and say, what time are you going to be back tonight? Because being a young man, I like to go out and enjoy myself. And if I said I'm going to be back at 3 o'clock in the morning, well, I'd better be back at 3 o'clock in the morning. Because if I was back at 3.05, she would be sitting there in her nightgown with her teeth not in, and she would be hissing and, <laughs> and, and speaking very ill of me because I had said I would be back at three. If I walked in the door at 2.59 in the morning, she would be in bed. I'd go and give her a kiss on the forehead and she would smile and say, I hope you had a good time. So I think, I think my Nana taught me um, many, many things, but I really appreciate her, her teaching me the challenge of being a man of my word. Of course, like all of us, I break my word uh, and I don't always tell the truth and I don't always do the things I should do. But she reminds me every day still of the importance of doing it. At her funeral, the temple was full for this little old lady in her 80s who had spent a life as a shopkeeper's wife and then when her first husband had died when he was 52. My grandfather, I never got to meet him. She remarried uh, another Polish guy um, uh, who I knew as my Jajush, uh, Jerry. And he was a lovely, lovely, kind man who worked in international uh, uh, import and export and uh, and he died when I was 12 too and and her last 10 years she spent giving back to the community in every possible way that she could so that 
as I said, for this little old lady, the temple was full. You know, and that, you know, that too, you, 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 you've spoken to me about the importance of knowing how to die and what to leave behind you when you die. Well, there was a woman who left behind a legacy of respect and heartfelt admiration in the lives of so many people in the, in the part of Sydney where I grew up. And that, you know, that, that's important too. I look at that and think, you know what? I'd like that to happen for me too. I don't expect it to happen. I actually expect it probably won't happen. But, but, but I want that to happen because there's an example that, you know, if you do the right sort of stuff, that people will be inspired to keep going. I think the final thing she gave me was uh, an understanding of the importance of the light. She was, there was a light in her eyes that uh, inspires me still. So, you know, and you've heard me uh, quote Leonard Cohen earlier, you know, the, the, the brokenness in us is there because it allows the light in. Oh, she, she, she shone a light into my life and still does to, today. If you, have you heard that song, um, Dance With My Father Again, by uh, Luther Vandross? I have. Tell me why you mention it I now. Listen, um, I listen to it a lot in the last few weeks. It's, it's the first song I listened to when I bought my AirPods. And uh, I don't know why, it made me, um, it, I feel like it's a beautiful love song, but I feel like if I had met Luther Van Graaff, he would tell me uh, about an imperfect relationship that was perfectly perfect, you know? Mm. And just hear, hearing you speak of your grandma today, the depth of humanity that I've experienced in the last two minutes of you speaking of your grandma is something I wish I could put in a package and export all over the world. Mm, that's very that's very very sweet of you to say that i'm a little bit humbled by that that makes sense you are deeply human you are not phil the educator you are not phil the global game changer you are philip the man she used to call me philip as well too very few people call me phil sorry very few people call me philip but my my grandmother used to did you know that I've never called you Philip until just now? I know, I know. I'm just, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very, um, again, I'm very humbled that you chose to call me Philip. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're silly, aren't we? We're silly. You, you are my brother. You are my brother. I have, three, I have three letters I want to leave with you, if you will. And I want to, uh, first of all, appreciate your, your humanity. You know, you and I have been talking the last few weeks we've done what we're doing and i'm excited about the future and there's three words that come to mind for me in terms of i believe what you are about doing in the world i believe that you are planting seeds of gratitude and telling these young boys live gratefully let thank you be the anthem of your life number two i believe that you are telling these young men to be humble let humility be your shield. Number three, the last one is that you are telling these young men to be curious, to never lose the wonder, to be the kid that gets on the ship in Poland, not knowing where they're going, but following the dream of a man who says, get on that ship at this time. And here's little Miss Mary, four foot and with a, a, a disjointed hip. I'm reminded of the Bible passage where Who's wrestling with the Lord? And he says, I will not let you go until you tell me who I am. It's Jacob. It's Jacob. Yeah, yeah. Says you, J- Jacob. And then he becomes Israel, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is the great problem. And so I believe that 
the young man that you and I hope to see, to meet when you and I are in our 90s and our 80s, the young man who says, yes, I've lived a life that has had knocks, I've lived a life that has had victories and losses, I'm grateful. As it says in Psalms, it says, it was good that I was afflicted so that I might learn thy statutes. That, and that speaks, yes, and that, and that speaks to that point of adversity that we were talking about earlier. Uh, thank you for your assessment. I, I, I really, I, I think the only way I can really respond to it is to is is, is to say, well, what am I learning from you? What 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 am I learning from you about what you're teaching, young men and young women? But but as I said, in our context, young men, you're teaching them about brotherhood. You're teaching me about brotherhood, and and I have to say, when we talk with boys all around the world. Brotherhood is absolutely essential to them. That notion of connection to other men and, and the, the support and love and care and intimacy that comes from brotherhood when it works really, really well. And, you know, you're teaching me about the heart um, and, and, and how to access that. I think, Henry, you're also teaching about the way that a leader stands up and stands up and is counted for what he believes in. Um, and I think, I think that's really, really important. It, it takes a lot of courage um, to do that. It takes a growing sense of conviction um, and it takes a deep sense of connectedness to the importance of humanity and for um, an appreciation of the selfless rather than the selfish. I think the third thing um, you've been teaching me about is, is family and the importance of that. You keep drawing out of me stories about my family and you keep sharing with me stories of your own. Uh, and that just keeps reminding me. I mean, the one thing I've always wanted more than anything else in my life is a deeply connected family. And you, you, you draw that out of me. It's, it's our grounding, it's our home, it's where we come from. Any man who is connected to his family is stronger because of that. Um, even if that family is not necessarily the traditional family, whatever a traditional family means, because it varies across the world, of course, you know, all, all the way along. I think the other thing you, you, you're making me do is um, both uh, contemplate myself quite deeply and the work that we're doing and also laugh at myself quite a bit too, because that's, you know, you've got a great laugh, man. <laughs> refraining from laughing for the podcast because of the, the technical aspects of it but um, wow it's been what six podcasts that we've done or seven yeah this is well we did our six and this six. is our this is our seventh one it's, it's it's been a lovely exercise to be able to reflect on um, lives lived some research some uh, practice and to try and bring that all into uh, a reflective conversation about becoming a good man. Dr. Henry Masoma, I am so privileged to have got to know you over the last few weeks in the way that I have. I really hope that I get to know you better over time, my brother. And, um, you know, God bless you for the work you're doing. And may he hold you in the palm of his hand, as my Irish forebears would say. Amen to that, my brother. Amen to that. Um, one of my students sent me a, a, a letter once, and he said, or she said, actually, it was a young lady, she said, I pray that you're enveloped in God's love, and I pray that for you. My brother, we all have some times in our lives 
We all have pain. We all have sorrows. Huh? But if we're wise, we'll understand. There's always tomorrow. Lean on me. When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Think about that song. And there's an organization called Playing for Change. And they went around the world and recorded homeless people all over the world. And they, they synchronized that, 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 that song. One of the most beautiful things you could share with your students is people across the world singing about brotherhood. Phil, I think we have cracked the code. And I'm about to share how we cracked the code. But before I tell you that, I'm going to tell you one thing that is interesting. Did you know that one of my all-time favorite professors was a man by the name of Dr. Cunning? Oh, really? Is that right? Is that right? And did you know? Yes. And did you know that we both have a grandfather called Dennis? No way. Yes. <laughs> my grandfather, Dennis so, Athanasius Cummins. Isn't that crazy? Dr. Cummins is well-read. He's a carpenter. He's, in fact, let me show you something. He gave me a gift. This is a gift that he gave me. He handmade this piece. Oh, how beautiful. It's a How beautiful. And he wrote in there, he said, For Henry, I made the can this candle box especially for you, my friend, from the elm reclaimed from a warehouse pallet. It has traditional dovetail joints cut by hand and is finished with a hand-rubbed oil stain and tongue oil. It is number 13 off the workbench. I will hope, I hope it will remind you of our enduring friendship. Richard Cummings. And so, when I say we've cracked the code, Phil, or as your grandmother would call you, Philip. <laughs> Brother Philip, is it possible that our young men don't need the big idea? Maybe the big idea is connection. Yeah, I think, we, I, I think you might be onto something there. I really do. Out of relationship comes everything. Yes, sir. Shall we leave it there, my friend, and let's talk again really soon in the future. Thank you so much, Henry. Thank you so much, my brother. Thank you. That's the final episode in our special series of the Game Changers podcast, Henry Misoma in conversation with Phil Cummins. Game Changers is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Spotify and Google Play. Please tell your friends if you like it and we look forward to your company next series.